All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler. And uh, so today we've got Justin Dobbs with us. How are you, Justin? Doing well, thank God. Good to see you. And Dan Bunting, how are you, Dan? I'm hanging in there. It's been busy, but I think I'm all right. Yeah, there you go. You've, you've been you've been on the run for a while. So <laughs> uh, and then you got a whole lot to catch up on, I'm sure, getting back in town. So. Yeah. Uh, Scott's going to be joining us, too, uh, in a little bit. Uh, he had uh, some other things to take care of first, so he'll be getting on hopefully in a few minutes with us. Um, but we'll go ahead and get started here. Um, so we uh, were in the Gospel of Mark last last week and we finished up chapter three. And um, Justin and I were, were discussing that maybe a helpful thing to talk about, especially talking about the Gospels, talking about Jesus's ministry. One of the primary things that happened in Jesus's ministry and also in the first century um, that was really intertwined with the Gospel uh, were miracles and, uh, you know, different things that Jesus performed, uh, different things that the apostles were, were able to do and accomplish. Um, and that's a big topic, I think, for us to consider today. The Bible talks a lot about miracles. Um, and so we're just going to spend our time talking about miracles, how we should think of miracles in the 21st century, um, what role that those play in our lives, uh, if they happen still today, what the Bible says about all those kinds of things. So hopefully we'll be able to hit a bunch of different angles um, from this topic. But uh, Justin, do you want to maybe get started um, and just kind of introduce us into the, the topic of, of miracles where you want to go? Yeah, sure. Actually, I'd like to begin in kind of a strange place. Um, I'd like to begin in Exodus 20 uh, to, to start with. I think it's important when we talk about miracles, uh, most of the people that I probably talk with um, who are religious in some way, they they talk about miracles um, and they're, they're happy talking about them. They're, they, they love to talk about God's power. And the discussion quickly talks, we quickly move to do miracles happen today. Um, however, there's another group of people that I'll talk with uh, that we meet more and more, people who just outright dismiss miracles. Um, and there are some who might be, uh, you know, friendly toward the Bible, but they're not necessarily gung-ho on the miracles. In fact, uh, a famous example, Thomas Jefferson. Um, you know, you get the Jefferson Bible, uh, it's a copy of the Gospels, and what he did was he took a razor blade and cut out everything that he thought Jesus didn't actually say or do. And, you know, what you end up with is a Jesus who probably looks and sounds a lot like Thomas Jefferson rather than Jesus. And so he, he cuts out the miracles. Um, however, when you, if you're going to take the Bible seriously, uh, you have to accept the miracles. You know, something as plain as the Ten Commandments, people would say, okay, that's a moral code uh, that's good for people to live by. If people live by that today, then you know, we'd have a better society, we'd be, we'd be uh, having better families and so forth. Even this moral code, if you look at Exodus 20 uh, and verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Well, how did God do that? And so, you know, if you were to explain to someone why we should keep these Ten Commandments or why the Israelites, rather, uh, should have kept these Ten Commandments, the answer would be, well, God brought them out of Egypt. How did he do that? And I don't know. What, what's the answer? Yeah, other places in the scripture will talk about the strong and mighty arm of God that delivered them. And I mean, you go back to Exodus earlier in chapter 14, 15 um, is the, the historical account of their, their leaving after the the plagues, which are miracles in and of themselves, what Jesus or what uh, God accomplishes to 
prove himself to Pharaoh, show that he is the true God. And Pharaoh finally lets the people go out of slavery. And then God parts the Red Sea uh, by the hand of Moses. And they walk through the sea uh, on dry land. Really amazing. And the army of the Egyptians is defeated by, by God. So it's just packed full of really of things you don't see every day. <laughs> right, right. And so even if we just take this sort of moral view of the Bible and say there are a lot of good teachings and sound uh, standards, laws that we need to live up to, it, it's really difficult to disentangle them from the miraculous. Um, God, I mean, and how many History Channel uh, specials have there been on how God actually helped Israel across the Red Sea and how he fed them with quail in the wilderness? And we chalk it up to some kind of uh, phenomenon of nature. And that's just... If God used a phenomenon of nature, great, but that's missing the point is, is, is God's strong right arm to deliver the people. Uh, and when you get to Jesus, um, I don't know, Dan, when you're thinking about Jesus's teaching, what do you think about as far as his, um, his teaching and trying to disentangle that from the miraculous? Well, <clears throat> I think one of the Number one, you can't really disentangle his 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 personal teaching from his personal miracles. Now, I believe that though, and somebody could take a razor blade and 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 do the job anyways. But one really wonderful example of how you literally cannot pull them apart is the fact that Jesus himself refers to two of the most unbelievable stories in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus refers to the days of Jonah and how Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. And Jesus refers to the story of Noah and how the whole world was flooded and he's floating in this, this wooden box above it all. I say unbelievable stories. I do believe them, but I have to admit that those are that those stories are hard to believe. But Jesus believed them. Jesus referred to them not in some sort of legendary way, or you've heard the stories of Noah. He talked about miracles that Jesus himself didn't perform as the man Jesus in his own day. He, ref he uses previous miracles as part of his personal teaching. And so you can try to say, oh, Jesus said stuff, and later people added the miracles, and the addition of the miracles is a later part um, of, of, of the Gospels. That, that is an argument that academics can bring up. But when Jesus's own preaching refers to fantastical miracles of the past, he is incorporating his own belief and faith that miracles are true into his very message. So you can't you can't pull it apart. Right, right, right. Uh, and even Jesus's teaching, I mean, the most fundamental piece of what Christianity is, I mean, it rests on his death and then his resurrection. And what you have is a community of, of Jesus followers who think that Jesus really did die and really was raised from the dead and that they would then therefore be raised from the dead. And according to the laws of nature, uh, dead people just don't get up. Mm -hmm. So that's, and that's kind of the second piece I want to talk about briefly. Uh, and then I'll get to you, Dan. Um, but it is that we, we struggle with miracles or miracles are impressive um, because we expect an ordered nature. We expect this world to follow a certain set of rules. And I think that's challenging to unbelievers too. Um, so even if you if you believe in miracles, okay, that's the divine. If you don't believe in miracles because they defy an ordered nature, 
then what you're saying is there must have been someone or something that ordered and structured nature. So I, I think miracles, whether you believe in them or disbelieve them, you're arguing for some kind of design and someone behind it all. So I think miracles are really a challenging piece of evidence to deal with. But Dan, you had something else you wanted to talk about with the resurrection? Um, well, not, not quite the resurrection, but another aspect to it. Um, everything that followed Jesus, um, all of our faith, all of our belief is on that one monumental, tremendous miracle of the resurrection. But leading up to it, when John sends his disciples and say, are you the Jesus? Are you the one? He says, well, the blind see, the, 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 the deaf hear. He, he refers to his own miracles uh, in, a, in a way that connects it to the Old Testament scriptures as a way of then proving I am the one before he does the most important miracle at, at, hmm. at, in his resurrection. Yeah, yeah, and I don't don't want to move too fast if you guys want to see some more about this, but that kind of hits a little bit on like the biblical purpose of miracles, um, which is is helpful for us to talk about and think about too. Maybe one of the best stories to illustrate this is one that we talked about recently in Mark, uh, in Mark chapter two, where Jesus heals the paralytic, and um, when Jesus heals the paralytic, he he very bluntly says, "The reason why I'm doing this." is so that you can know what I'm teaching and saying is truth. So that shows that, that miracles are for the purpose of confirming um, that they're, they're an evidence, they're, they're uh, backing up truth, backing up words. Um, and so the words that Jesus is trying to back up in Mark chapter two is uh, he forgives the man's sins that comes to him. Um, and the people have a really hard time with that. We talked about this in Mark two. Then they say, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, well, let me prove to you that I have the authority to forgive sins. Um, get up, paralyzed man, and walk and carry your bed away. And he does. And that proves that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. It's, it's a visual confirmation of an invisible truth um, is maybe a good yes. way of, of thinking about that. And so as you kind of read through the scriptures, um, you won't find just random things happening for no reason or no purpose. They always illustrate a, a point or a truth or back up something about God's nature or God's character or, or reveal kind of in some way. And Jesus uses that uh, in his ministry and the apostles use that. The, the first miracle to help establish the, the kingdom of Christ in Acts chapter two um, was to prove that God's scriptures are true. And so that Peter could get up and preach to those at Pentecost and they start speaking in tongues and Peter uses scripture and the miracle as evidence of this is God's stamp of approval. God talked about this. Um, so, and Scott, you just pulled yeah, up John it, chapter three. <laughs> so here in John three, what does Nicodemus say? Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Nicodemus was an exception. He admitted and saw that this was proof that Jesus was from God. But some of the other Pharisees said, why? Well, if he cast out that demon, he did it by the power of Beelzebub. Yeah. Later rabbinical uh, writings, they'll talk about him like being a sorcerer or, or you know, they viewed him as using dark arts or something. Um, on the day of Pentecost, Uh oh, I think I think Scott just cut out. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll 
I'll, I'll address that thought if I think I know where he's going. <laughs> On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, uh, the apostles begin speaking in languages that being men from Galilee, obviously they'd never studied it before. And they're just speaking in these, these foreign languages. We, we call them tongues, uh, but there are these, these languages that come from these other nations. Yeah. And um, people heard it and recognized this must be something, some kind of sign. Uh, some kind of power. Yeah, Sorry, right. Scott, you you cut you cut out there for a second. We were trying to wrap up the thought. All right. And then look here in John. Let's go to move up to John and watch what Jesus says here in John chapter five. And it says my internet connection is not good. So if I start going out, you guys just okay. take over. All right. John 5 31. What does Jesus say there? Somebody read John 5 31. It says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Yeah. And so that's, you know, if your neighbor comes up and says, Hey, I'm the Messiah, you know, don't believe that. And then he points to what bears witness of him. What witness does he cite in verse 32 through 33? The witness is another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. John the Baptist said that he's the one. And, but he says he's got a greater witness than that. Mm -hmm. And in verse 36, what is the next greater witness? The works Very of the Yeah, those miracles. And then he points to another witness in verse 39, which is. The scripture. Yeah, the prophecies of the Old Testament bearing witness about him. So in all of these, you've got um, just, you know, evidence. And then the Gospel of John ends where the other Gospels end with the evidence of the resurrection of John. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and Tony commented that, you know, miracles really also, you could say miracles glorify Yahweh, they glorify God. Um, because like what we just saw in John 3 and in, and in John 5, um, only Yahweh can give power to do such things. Um, and, and that gets back to maybe even looking back at creation itself in, in Genesis, um, you know, God created all of this. He, he made everything. He created order. He created natural order. And so as the creator of natural order, like what Justin was talking about, um, God can disrupt natural order if, if he's the owner and architect of it and that's that's what a miracle is but only the creator has the capability to do those things justin and in that in that just kind of review our points real quick the, the first being that uh we cannot disentangle the teaching of scripture from the miraculous so that they they stand or fall together uh secondly <laughs> miracles are really only appreciated uh or or give us cause to wonder uh, because we expect an ordered universe. But then thirdly, this limited purpose for the miracles. And um, you're talking about God can kind of disrupt or call halt on the rules of the universe. Uh, someone pointed out to me recently, I think this is an old quote from C.S. Lewis as well, um, that miracles do not in fact uh, break the rules of the universe. And at first you kind of go, wait a minute, that's the whole point, right? Um, but think about the kinds of miracles that Jesus did. Um, in, in Mark chapter one, Jesus is teaching and they all are impressed by his teaching and they think, wow, this sounds like teaching with authority. And then he heals someone and they go, well, it's teaching with authority. 
if Jesus were really trying to impress people, though, I mean, he might have like floated up 200 feet above the ground, uh, did some sky riding, you know, you know, I'm the son of God, and then touch down in Rome real quick, you know, just topple down the Colosseum, just do some really, really impressive things. But that wasn't the whole point. Um, what Jesus's miracles so often did was they restored people. Uh, it, it was they were good things. They were blessings. I mean, he's not burning somebody's house down with fire from his wrists or anything like that. It's, it's, it's no just grand show of violent power. He's like Dan pointed out. Uh, he's causing the blind to see. He's making the lame to walk. He's raising the dead. And so, in some sense, it's back to this creation where God made this world good, and then sin we broke it. Um, and so, so Jesus's work is really about restoration. And the miracles, they testify to his authority. I think they also testify to his purpose. And his purpose is not to restore us physically, but that physical restoration does bring us back to think about why is the world broken and what kind of restoration do we really need? And that's when Jesus starts teaching about sin and about righteousness and our need to be forgiven. Scott? So most of his miracles did bring a blessing and like a restorative blessing. Although there are also some punitive miracles in the Bible, like Paul being struck blind, which helped him, and mm. healed him being struck blind, which could have helped him, but it sounded like it probably didn't. But there are also miracles just in opposite of the physical properties, kind of equal to like one up in the air. What, what does he do at the end of his 40 days? That's true. He goes up in the air. Uh, what does he do on the water? He walks on the water. We look in the Old Testament, there's an axe head floating in the water. Uh, so he does do some remarkable things like that. I'd like to share an illustration that I think is helpful. Um, any of you guys ever been around somebody that's into HO trains and they've got a big HO train set up in the basement? There's so, a, uh, a neighbor that actually set it up outside and like their whole hillside down by the lake yeah, is just yeah. full of, so pretty cool. Got it set up. And within the way that you've set up, there's things that you can control. You can control the speed of that, you know, uh, locomotive over there. You can uh, change tracks and take that one off and bring another one in. You can reverse direction. And that's, uh, that's if, if the little plastic people were cognizant, they wouldn't go, be going, oh, what's happening? Because that's, that's the way things work. And God, this is a difference between God's providence and involvement in nature and in a miracle. Uh, God has the ability to let, let things run. God has the ability to reach in and arrange things. Like, okay, it's pretty weird when Jesus gets the tax money out of the mouth of the fish. But unless Jesus, <laughs> unless Jesus is a counterfeiter, I assume that's a real Roman coin which is kind of interesting to think about then, you know, how long before did God arrange for somebody, you know, maybe flipping a coin over which way to go fishing and it goes overboard and the fish swallows it. You know, God can set up things like with the Ethiopian eunuch happening to be in Isaiah 53, God could use all sorts of things within the world to help have things time up. But when he makes Philip, just the spirit takes him away that's, that's something else. So sometimes God is speeding things up, slowing things down, changing tracks. But the guy with that HO train, he can, if he wants to, bypass all 
the mechanisms that are set up to naturally operate, and he can just reach over there and pick up that locomotive and put it somewhere else. And so God has that ability, and he's done purposefully at times to create the impression, the, the understanding that Nicodemus had. Nobody can do that but God. But God is willing. So, so we have these, these miracles, and even Jesus at the end uh, of his time here on earth in Mark 16, uh, verse 20, he says that I will be with you uh, in these performing signs, confirming the message. And so Jesus's point was that the miracles confirmed the authority of the message. Because like you said, Mike shows up on my doorstep and says, I'm the Messiah, uh, you know, okay. If you are, I'd sure love to follow you, but I'm pretty sure you're not. But then you've got some convincing to do. Um, these, these messages confirm the authority of the message and therefore the messenger as well. But the question we, we come to then is, does God still use the miraculous to confirm uh, his message today or just to help people? And I think one thing that we want to uh, affirm is that God still works in the world today. Yeah, and and you you mentioned Scott, you know how he's able to just use the mechanisms that are already at work in the world, and I, and I absolutely believe that God is working today, the Spirit's working today, uh, working through the Word, the other other means. But we're talking about the supernatural, the, the the undeniable divine hand displacing the expected order to do His work. So, do the miracles still happen? Do we still have access to that? And there's a passage I want to share uh, this this slide here, First Corinthians 13. I hope it will be helpful. Um, this is uh, in the middle of a context where uh, Jesus, uh, excuse me, not Jesus, Paul is helping the Corinthians to think about their, their work together. And, and a lot of them have been clamoring for more and more power. They, they, they want the ability to do these signs. And it says something about uh, their greatness in the church. And it's causing all kinds of division. Chapters 12 through 14 address that. In the middle of this is chapter 13, which we often think 1 Corinthians 13 is the chapter on love. And uh, love is patient, it's kind. Verse 4, love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant. And then it ends with verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And it says that love never ends. So Paul sets up love as this unending power uh, but he also says there in 1 Corinthians 13, in verse 13, that faith and hope also abide. And his point is that in contrast with uh, these partial things, we pick up in verse 8. Uh, one of you guys want to read verses 8 through 13, kind of see the whole context at work? Yeah, it says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So in the context, he's talking about prophecies, tongues, and knowledge. Again, this is all about miraculous signs. And what does he say is going to happen to prophecies and tongues and knowledge? They're going to cease. 
yep, there's going to come a time where they stop. Uh, and in the context, he doesn't, he doesn't nail down exactly when they're going to stop, but he does say that verse 10, when the perfect comes. Now, there, there are lots of different views about what this perfect is, um, but I think he explains in verse 11 that this has something to do with growing up. Uh, there's, there's a maturity that's reached. There's an understanding in verse 12. There's a knowing that happens. And so there in verse uh, 11, 12, Paul, he illustrates this thinking about being a child and then growing up and getting rid of childish things. Uh, my kids this morning were downstairs playing with blocks and train sets and uh, uh, they built a coliseum. It was kind of cool. Uh, and I kind of want to get down there and play with them. But if I spent all day on the floor playing blocks with my kids, Somebody would probably tell me, hey, you need to grow up and get busy doing real work. Um, we, we put away childish things. Uh, Scott, I think you've illustrated this before with a bicycle and training wheels. How, how does that work exactly? Yeah, so, you know, when do you use training wheels? In the early stages where you need it. But then after you get past the need for it, you, you put it away because that's the thing for when you're... And and so if we're to ride into city, you know, I've, I've got a Bible study tomorrow and I'm going to hop on my bicycle and go, which is what I usually do. And I arrive and I've got my training wheels on my bike. The guy I'm meeting for the Bible study is probably going to look at me like, you know, I'm a little weird. Uh, so we put away childish things. What Paul's doing is he's relating prophecies, tongues, and knowledge, the supernatural, miraculous power to training wheels, to to children's stuff and i think one of the reasons he does this is because we think that miracles are the power of god and they undeniably are but they're not the power that we need to be concerned with uh, romans 1 16 says that the gospel is the power of god for salvation and, and, and that's the power that we need so these things cease um an interesting point though we can look at hebrews 11 verse 1 but also check out romans 8 uh, verse 24 where Paul says, um, in this we hope we were saved, in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? First Corinthians 13, Paul says that hope abides, it, it lasts, it endures. But elsewhere, places like Romans 8 or Hebrews 11, the idea is that at some point, hope is no longer hope. Um, it, if, if I've been away from home for a long time and... Um, I, I greet my wife with a hug and a kiss because we've been apart for several days uh, or a week or two and I, I greet her and then I tell her I sure do hope I see you again like well, I'm already there you know hope is no longer hope anymore the hope has been fulfilled and, and the point here is that there's going to come a time where hope will cease when we stand before Jesus and we see him face to face I'm not going to be hoping for heaven my hope will be fulfilled uh, I'll, I'll be there with him. Faith is something that we have because we don't see it. We see evidence that leads us to believe uh, miracles are part of that, or even just the world that we see around us. We have reason for faith, but if you see it, you don't have to trust it. Uh, and that's the point, I think, in Hebrews 11. So there's a time, actually, where faith and hope are going to cease, First Corinthians 13 says they abide, but actually we read in other contexts that there's going to be a time where faith and hope are going to end. Love is going to continue. Dan, you got a thought? Well, a similar example to the use of prophecies, 
prophecies and tongues and knowledge and, and, and things that we do today and, and, and the, the, their need and their usefulness and then how that need and usefulness ends. We often use teaching tools and different aids when we are trying to, to teach the gospel to people. And so if you want to teach the gospel to somebody, you don't necessarily start reading Matthew and go all the way through Revelation as their first lesson. Or you don't say, well, we better learn the entire Old Testament in order to understand anything in the gospel stories of Jesus. Sometimes you give quick references. Maybe you give some, here's five things to memorize about what it's like to be a Christian. And you give these teaching tools to somebody as they're learning, or when we're teaching children, here are some memorization aids. And those tools are excellent. And they help us to get into the gospel and has to understand the nature of God and all those ideas. And then eventually you need to tell somebody, did you know that you need to know more than, the, than those five memory ideas? Did you know that you actually need to read the whole Bible? Uh, those tools were helpful, but if you try to bank your uh, hope in God, on a condensed, uh, simplified version of the gospel, you're going to get lost. And so you use the tool to get started, and then you go to the actual object. You go back to the text, and the and the as you mentioned, the tool or the miracle was a helpful tool from God, but the power of God is the gospel itself. So we need to go back to the whole thing. Jonathan. Yeah, and tying in one comment from, from Tony, again, he said, when the corruption puts on incorruption and everything has been fulfilled, there's no more hope or faith or law uh, that will be needed. We will all be as he is and where he is face to face. Um, and that kind of breaks into this kind of timeline that, that you have here. There's not like exact time periods in 1 Corinthians 13, like Paul says, in this year, on this day, this will happen. But you can see from the text, there, there are three areas of time that Paul is talking about. There's this area of time where you have prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, the miraculous gifts, faith and hope, and love, all happening all together. Then there's a time where prophecy, tongues, and knowledge will, will stop, and you've got faith and hope and love that are all working together. But then there's a third time yet, a time after that, where faith and hope will stop, and love will keep going. Um, so what and when are those time periods starting and stopping, and, and what, what are the markers that that Paul gives here. I think Scott, you had your your hand up for that. Yeah. Um, Justin, do you have some more charts here you want to show? If you don't just, have charts. I want to wrap wrap this up here just real quick because yeah. I think what John was saying was was spot on. There are these three time periods, and if faith and hope are resolved at the coming of Jesus, then prophecies are not going to continue until Jesus. There's got to be a time where prophecies, tongues, and knowledge cease before that. So. Uh, let me see if I can get, yeah, here we go. There's a, some time before the second coming. And a passage to consider with this is Acts 8, uh, verse 18. Um, when would be a time when maybe these prophecies would cease, the tongues and knowledge would cease? In Acts 8, uh, Simon the sorcerer there in Samaria, uh, Philip was there and he was doing miracles. But Philip, though he can do miracles, he's not one of the 12 apostles. He seems to be one of the seven from Acts 6. Peter and John come down to Samaria, and they lay hands on some from Samaria and pass along miraculous gifts. Philip can't do that. Peter and John need to come to do that because they're apostles. And what Simon sees, and this isn't Simon saying it. This is Luke, the inspired narrator, saying this. He says that when Simon saw that these miracles were passed on through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he wanted that power too. 
So if miracles would continue to be passed along like this, like we see in the early church in the first and second centuries, then what would the mechanism be? The New Testament teaches us the mechanism was laying on the apostles' hands. And so that seems like a pretty, pretty solid line where we would expect miracles to cease. Once the apostles had, had fully revealed all of the truth that we need to know, the perfect in that sense had come, and there's no longer any need for inspired revelation, for uh, miraculous confirmation. That seems to be like a solid place to end. So that, that was the last of what I wanted to share there. I'll stop sharing my screen uh, so, and see if you had something, Scott. A couple things. One, it's worth noting that miracles are not spread evenly throughout history. Uh, a lot of Old Testament history, like during the days of Nehemiah, you know, they, they don't rebuild the walls with a miracle. They, they work. Um, you see a spike in the Old Testament of miracles, especially at a couple of times. Where's one of the spikes in the Old Testament? Just tons of miracles. The yeah. days of Moses. Yeah, yeah. And then there's another spike where with Elijah, Elijah and Elisha. Yeah. And then uh, after the return from captivity, you know, you don't see a lot of that. Uh, and then you have John the Baptist come, who was a prophet, but who did no sign. And then Jesus starts doing a ton of miracles. And then his apostles do, and they can lay hands on people. Uh, if we have time, I'd like to run through some slides, uh, go in a little more detail on that 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 passage. And we'll see how far we get on it. That's okay, y'all. Yeah, go ahead. Um, but I just lost y'all. We're still here. All right, man. share screen. And man, I don't know which one it is. That's not good. I've got too many PowerPoints open. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, does this say spiritual gifts, prophecies, tongues? Do y'all yep. see that? Yep. Okay. Yes. So I'm going to just go through this like super quick here. Um, well, staying super quick, I'm starting off really slow. So uh, the quick overview, uh, Paul is saying in chapter 12, different people receive different gifts. And he's going to say at the end of the chapter, not everyone will receive, you know, uh, be all those different things. And then he's going to say, you don't need more gifts. What you need is more love. And he says, the gifts will cease, but love will continue. That's what he's saying. Uh, it's like this. You know, there's two things there. One of those is going to last longer than the other. Uh, and so he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, one spirit gave all these different gifts and lists nine gifts there. And they're fighting and arguing about who got which, and especially they seem to want more speaking in tongues. And so he enumerates them, but he says it's kind of like the body. There's different parts of the body, and if everything was an eyeball, that wouldn't be very good. If everything was a hand, that wouldn't be very good. So not everybody's going to be an apostle. Not everybody's going to speak in tongues. And they're saying what we need is tongues. And say, no, 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 you've got enough of that. What you really need is love because what are the corinthians doing throughout the book not loving they're full of envy chapter three uh they're seeking their own chapter eight ten uh they're not being patient they're suing each other 
they're puffed up. When, when in the King, I like the King James on this particular word here, love is not puffed up. That word is only used in Corinthians, except for one time in Colossians. Three times in Corinthians, it talks about the, the Corinthians pretending to be puffed up. And he goes, love, that's not what love is. Love is not puffed up. And then he comes back to after saying, basically, you know what? Love is not what you guys are doing. You don't need more tongue speaking. You need more love because you're not being loving. And then he brings it back around to, and that's what's going to last. But these these tongues, they're going to end. So love never ends. As for prophecies, it'll look at the ter terminology: pass away, tongues cease, pass away. We know in part, prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And so notice what's going on here. Watch for these two contrasts. He's talking about the things that are temporary and the things that continue. And he's also talking about the things that are partial and the things that are complete. So on the temporary continuing, look at all that. Pass away, cease, pass away. Put a gave up. Uh, and then continuing, abide. The word abide means continue, last, endure. That's what it means. Um, it remain, Young's literal translation says. And love never ends. So there's that continuum. So when you put these two things together, uh, look at the partial things. Back then, we knew in part, we prophesied in part. They didn't have the New Testament, by the way. And when they got together, you know, if, if Jonathan is a prophet, and he gives up and he gives us a 20-minute prophecy from God, that's what we've got. And, you know, hey, we'll get some more next week. Um, it's partial in part. We know in part, prophesy in part. It, it has to do with revelation, knowing in part, in contrast with knowing more fully or completely. Look at the perfect here. Uh, brought to its end, finished, lacking nothing necessary to completeness. It's related to the word when Jesus said it is finished. Uh, and the NIV, I believe, has when completeness comes, the partial, uh, and HNB says, but when that which is completeness comes, the partial is done away. And is it Jesus coming back? No, Justin's already shown that when Jesus comes back, we don't keep hoping he is there. That's the end of hope. It's the fulfillment of hope. It's the culmination of hope. It's, we don't hope he comes back. He's there. We're with him. Um, and so, uh, and another thing, it's not he who is perfect. It's that which is perfect grammatically. It's neuter. It's a thing, not a person. That which is perfect. And pointing not to a, it's pointing to a what, not a who. Um, and I'm going to stop there because we're probably getting close to time and see if you guys have any comments or anything. Yeah, so I'll just say this. So looking at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, especially in the section that it's presented in chapters 12 through 14, talking about spiritual gifts and their purpose, Paul clearly lays out in, in there that um, spiritual gifts are not the most important thing for the Corinthians to be thinking about and pursuing. Um, because they're temporary. That, that's his whole argument. They will end. They're not the greatest commandment. 
yeah, yeah. Pursue the thing that lasts is what Paul's message. If you could summarize First Corinthians twelve through fourteen, that that's Paul's point. But for the Corinthians, they had a purpose, and so Paul goes on in like chapter fourteen to give them instructions on like how to use them, how to not use them. That they're those training wheels that were needed at that time period until the perfect revelation was finally revealed, and we no longer need those training wheels. Now, in saying that. Because, you know, you could read 1 Corinthians 13 and realize, okay, yeah, Paul is saying that that miracles end. This might be a discussion for maybe next week. Um, and, and I've had this discussion with people before. Um, and my wife and I were actually talking about this as well. Um, at, for a Christian to say, you know what, um, miracles don't happen today. Um, that sounds almost like you're kind of against religion um, in, in a way. Uh, that you're saying like, you know, the, the spirit is not active. Uh, anymore. It's a different um, statement than miracles don't happen. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But yeah. you could hear, people hear that as like, miracles don't happen. That means you're discounting the spirit. Well, the Bible talks about the spirit, and I believe the spirit is still active today. So maybe, and that kind of opens up a whole new conversation. Maybe we could pick this up next week. Um, what yeah. does the Bible teach about the spirit? D does he still work today? What is his purpose? If, if Paul says that miracles had their place and that ends, what does the spirit do now, if anything? <laughs> Um, and so that could probably be a helpful discussion for us. And, and I want to just make that clear in, in, in us saying and showing in the scripture that miracles do not happen today, that those ended with the, the apostolic age. We're not saying that the spirit is gone or the spirit doesn't still work. Um, so, so I just want to throw that out there um, because maybe some of our audience might, might hear that and think that I've talked with people that, that come to that conclusion. And had something of injustice. Yeah, this might be more for the discussion for next week, but it strikes me if if I am interested in and um, see miracles that I perform or miracles that a friend of mine performs, and that's very active, there, there's an active part of society that are seeing their own personal interaction with the miracles of God today. Uh, rather than arguing that, the real importance here is that we all need to keep reading what Paul talks about miracles in 1 Corinthians 13, that even in that time when the miracles were clearly active, and there's some debate today about the behavior of miracles today, the point was love, faith, hope, and love rising above that. So no matter how interested I am in my miracle, miraculous deeds today, love has to come first. Love is much more important. And uh, much more. Um, yeah. And in the miracle, the miracles people claim today tend to be sometime like holding on something under somebody's nose that can't smell well. That's a whole lot different than raising your African dead. Amen. Dead. Amen. Justin. Well, I just, so, you know, how do I talk with my friends then or people that I meet and they claim to speak in tongues or someone came through their church and uh, they're even wearing the name apostle and they're, they're claiming the miraculous or visions from God. And uh, maybe you guys have a different approach to this, but, but I would just say, are, are they then claiming to teach anything in addition to what the scriptures reveal? If so, um, then I think they're they're running in conflict with God's authority. You know, they're they're claiming to have another authority, revealing something new. Uh, when we see in Jude three, that was a passage we had in the chart earlier. Uh, these things have, have been confirmed. They've been revealed. There, there's a finality to it. But if they're saying, no, 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 I'm not revealing anything new, then why do I need it? Uh, if, if the purpose of the miracles is to confirm the authority of the message, and you're not bringing a new message, then the miraculous here is testifying to a power that I already 
have in the gospel, what purpose is the miracle? I, I think that to me, that answers the, the person who says they can do the miracles. I don't want to argue with them, whether they actually can or can't speak in tongues, or they really did heal somebody or someone was really healed by somebody else. I'm not going to argue with the emotional experience, um, but I just want to know the purpose of it. Listen, that's a strong point, Justin. I really like that a lot. Let's pick up here next week and focus on that kind of an idea, how to talk to somebody who's convinced that, that, that they believe miracles are still happening or they've mm -hmm. got their emotional or experience or they felt a burning in the or whatever or uh, something else. All right, so let's pick up there next week. Yeah, so that'll be good. So there's a lot of directions that we can go in. Um, so so in our in our further discussions, thank you to our audience for tuning in. in our further discussions about this, we'll talk about you know the, the spirit's work. What does the spirit do still today? Um, maybe get into some discussions about the idea of being led by the spirit. I know Scott, you've you've done a lot of work with with that kind of conversation, talking about that. Um, and then maybe we can also just talk about um, how we can fully know what God's will is. Because if, if we're truth seekers, if we, if we want to be Christians, we want to know what God wants us to do. Um, and if miracles from the scripture don't happen, then, then what's the way that we do that? And maybe what are some ways that we can falsely arrive at, at you know, wrong conclusions of what God's will is? So there are a lot of things that we can talk about. That's what we have in mind. To our audience, if you have any other directions or, or specific questions about that that you'd like us to address in the upcoming weeks, uh, you can let us know, visit our website at BibleQuest.tv and let us know about those questions or any other Bible topic that you want us to discuss. And we'll be happy to get to those in future shows. That's all that we have for this week. And so we will plan on seeing everyone next time. Lord willing.